very intrigued with the relationship between Abraham and Sarah in the Bible. And I thought, man, this will make a great marriage sermon. So there you go. So don't all the single people turn me off because I'm assuming you want to get married one day. And you can learn a lot right here. Marriage is in sickness and in health. It's for richer or for poorer. My daughters told me yesterday we were driving and, and we went to the Devil's Triangle where we, they tried to call it the Angel's Triangle. It's still the Devil's Triangle. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was saved in northeast El Paso and, and lived the first 10 years of my life there. Uh, and so as a single guy, I lived in three different places in the Devil's Triangles. I was pointing out, yeah, I used to live here. And then they go, boy, I'm really glad that God blessed you guys before we were born so we didn't have to be raised in the ghetto. <laughs> Richer or for poorer. My wife has felt a lot of the poorer side, but uh, until death do we part. This presents marriage then as a journey, a journey. From the day that you say I do until this life is over, marriage is a journey. The problem for many is they get stuck in places, don't know how to get out and start going forward again. And I believe that can describe probably a good portion uh, of marriages. They're stuck and don't know how to start going forward in the journey again. And as we consider Abraham and Sarah, I believe that God can help us in our marriages today to continue to grow and mature. But I have to preface everything with this statement. For that to happen, you're going to have to deal with your issues. Because how many know we have issues? You don't have to say amen. I already know that one's true. Whatever you say doesn't matter. We have to deal with our issues. Men have them. Women have them. And so I want to preach to you about the marriage journey out of 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, They without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. And this is not a a scripture that says don't put makeup on and make yourself up. Please put makeup on and make yourself up. That's not what it's saying, okay? Or arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. And all the men say, see, it says don't wear gold. Why do I have to buy you jewelry? It's not what it's saying. Here's the point. Rather, along with that, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. You see how the Bible is so wonderful? I'm not even preaching yet. You're already getting convicted. Just reading the scripture. For in this manner, in former times, The holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a lot here, and I want to uh, 
delve into a part of it. I want to talk about the marriage journey today. And I want to first talk about the lifelong commands of marriage. This point is very important because it never becomes something that is irrelevant. And that's the the beauty of the Bible, but the beauty of these commands, uh, that they never become irrelevant, and they are the standard that we are always to measure ourselves and our conduct against. So, So here are these lifelong commands. They're always in the forefront of our interaction in marriage, okay? These These never change. So let me just kind of uh, refresh us a little bit before we go on to really the main journey of marriage. Now, the most prevalent command that we find is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 29. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's not including sin, of course. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, blemish, speaking of the church. So husbands ought to then love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife also loves himself. So think about this, because something I noticed, and I went into the office yesterday when I was preparing this, and I said, Ernie, do you think there's any significance here? And initially I, I didn't consider any. But I noticed in the three main uh, uh, scriptures in the Bible that we find the, the two main marriage commands that he always in all of them addressed the women's issue of submission first. Now, it was always my mind that, wait a second, it's the husband's love that creates the whole environment, and, and that's still true. But I thought about this because I noticed it, and I said, that's not just, hap- hap- you know, just happenstance. The reason, and I I believe one of the things that this is conveying or or giving us is the mind that submission by the wife is not based upon the conduct of the husband. I think that's where we make a mistake to think that, well, I'm only only going to to go with this thing if, if he's this, this, or this. Well, I think that's a mistake because that's not what the Bible allows you to do. But it's not based upon the conduct of the husband, although it certainly helps a lot. But, but a woman's submission is based upon God being God and that because you love God, you're submitted to your husband. Okay, And that's not a bad word. That's not a dirty word in the Christian language. And that's just a horrible word. Well, if you're a radical feminist, it is. But other than that, it's not. So in our text, he mentions women that are married to non-believers. Now, that can present a bit of a difficult scenario, right? And so, so here he is in, in verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, even those that don't obey the word. Now, now we can maybe break that down into two segments. One would be the total unbeliever that your husband, uh, and he's speaking to wives, so we're going to say your husband is not uh, saved. And so, so there's it, a different dynamic at work when you're saved and your husband is not, and it's, it's a challenging dynamic. But he doesn't 
take that back that somehow now that you're relieved from this marriage command. It doesn't apply to you because after all, he's not saved and he's not going to guide you in spiritual things anyway. It's not what it says. But he goes on to say that by you doing this, it actually aids in the process of getting that man saved. See, this is the, 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 one of the big mistakes that wives make all the time. You're going to be the Holy Spirit for him. No, there's only one Holy Spirit and you're not it, honey. And, and you're never going to be it. And so, so the other category is the church-going husband that isn't submitted to God. He's not submitted to God's will and he's not submitted to headship. And this presents in itself also a very big challenge for a saved wife. But listen to what Peter's telling the wives because he's now defining the conduct of a wife, okay? So listen to what he says in verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of your hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person. In other words, all that you make yourself up, and that's all fine. He's not against that at all. But spend the same type of time on your inward woman in this. And, and he says, and, and rather be the hidden person of your heart with the incorruptible beauty of what? A gentle and a quiet spirit. Now that's not... Uh, some term that means a, ne- a woman just has to sit in, in humble submission and never say a word no matter what. I'm glad my wife speaks up at times because because uh, I can I can take things in the wrong direction really fast. My wife will say, uh, "Excuse me," but but it is what it's saying: a gentle and a quiet spirit, certainly not a brawler which is what very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God, okay? You're going to have to trust God for your marriage. It's not always easy, is it? Adorn themselves, how? Being submissive to their husbands. As Sarah, and this is why I've used them as our key couple, because she's mentioned. As Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and no, you don't have to go around calling your husband Lord, whose daughter you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So we're going to look at how Sarah, and actually Abraham and Sarah both fulfilled these commands all their life. It's a fascinating thought. But, but before we get there, here's this very clear call to wives to keep their spirit and conduct undercover. So this is what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about. And, and though you're going to go home and read it, some of you, and say, it's all about hair. 1 Corinthians 11 is all about hair, whether a woman had short hair, long hair, and a guy had a... No, 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 no. It's a point he's making. I'll explain it to you later. But it's there. And it's there for a reason, because it, it begins to speak about a woman's covering and how important that covering is. Even if your covering is not saved and isn't overly spiritual, there's still a dynamic at work that when you push that away, it opens you to all manner of demonic persuasion. And this is the lesson we learned in the garden with Eve. So the other side of this command then is to husbands. Husbands love your wives. And, and, and there's hardly a, a husband that'll sit before you in counseling that'll say they don't love their wives. But... But Peter obviously found it very important to define how this is lived out because if it's left to our definition, yeah, I love her. 
hey, man, I give her a paycheck, buy her stuff. What does she want? What more does she want? Well, let's, let's do the biblical definition of loving your wife. Because it's not left open to our interpretation. And, he, and he, de- he defines it two ways. How? First, as Christ loved the church, that's pretty deep love. And second, like you love your own body, that's pretty deep love. And so in our text, he adds a few little things on for good measure. Verse 7, husbands likewise, also along with this very important command of loving, dwell with them with understanding, give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers do not be hindered. Now this really deepens the whole command to the husband because love her as Christ loves the church and love her like you love yourself. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no. And on top of that, dwell with them with understanding. Now this is a deep command because anybody that's married knows that understanding a woman is hard business. This, this is one of the deepest studies of, of, of life you'll ever embark upon, is figuring out and understanding a woman. I'll never forget the time that Bobby came to Pastor Stephen shortly into his marriage, uh, some months into it, and he's just, just beyond himself. Uh, I need your help. I don't understand your daughter. Not my problem. I like that. Yes. I'm chalking that one up. So, you know, so here we are. It's your lifelong calling to figure out your wife. Now, every woman is wired the same in the sense of very complex. But yet they're also very different. You know, one of them has this personality, another has this one. One of them's just outgoing, the other one's kind of subdued. Oh, my Lord. You wonder why we go bald. (laughs) Just look around the married guys. All of them are getting it. I'm watching. (laughs) But guess what? It's our job to figure out, out ours. And that in itself is a journey. And so giving honor then to the wife as to the weaker vessel. You know, it's so easy just to tell her, get over it. Or just kind of yell and scream at her a little bit till she kind of just goes into a little stupor. But, but think about this, you know, or, or we just pile on to her emotional outburst. You know, the one thing that we don't handle well as men is a woman's emotions. They're, they're so deep. Listen to what Albert Barnes says here, Bible commentator. It was an important advance made in society when the Christian religion gave a direction as this, for everywhere among the pagans, under all false systems of religion, women were regarded as worthy of very little honor or respect. We do not subscribe that a woman is lesser in that sense at all. She's equal in the image of God in every way, shape, or form. But see, in the other forms of religion, she was always demeaned. She had been considered a slave. I've sure seen that in the office a few times. 
or as a mere instrument to gratify the passions of man. This is deep stuff. It's one of the elementary doctrines of Christianity, however, that woman is to be treated with respect. Oh, you missed a good spot there, sister. You're not going to get many of them in the sermon to say amen. And one of the first and most marked effects of religion on society is to elevate the wife to a condition in which she will be worthy of esteem. So then he goes on to say about the second part of this, that she is the weaker vessel. But this is not necessarily meant that she is of the feebler capacity or inferior mental endowment, but that she is more tender and delicate, more subject to infirmities and weakness, less capable of enduring fatigue and toil, less adapted to the rough stormy scenes of life. As such, she should be regarded and treated with special kindness, which you would do well to learn and attention. So Peter caps off this whole discord with his little shot at men. He says, unless your prayers be hindered. You got to catch that stuff in the Bible. So it's talking about our role and loving our wives and, and coming to understand, unless your prayers be hindered. If you're not seeking to fulfill this part of your command as a husband, you're at some point in danger of falling out of favor with God. So let me also say this, and then I'm going to move on, about a man's love for his wife. This derives from your love for God. We're going to see that in a moment. So if if you're not in love with God and if you're not totally submitted to God, you're going to have a hard time translating that over to your marriage because this isn't something that comes easy. And so the Bible says to us in 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. That's a very significant statement. The head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So, So the head of every man is Christ. So the question is, are you living that way as a man? Because everything derives from that position in your life of whether you're going to be able to fulfill that. So let me then talk secondly, and and let me say this too. These are lifelong commands. You never outgrow these as long as you are married. These are there entrenched in stone. These will always be our struggle to fulfill in some capacity or another but they will be your saving grace because when all else is failing and things aren't working in your marriage, it's, it really, it's simple but not simple, but go back to the commands. So let's talk then secondly and take a look at the journey. I had to pick and choose here for the sake of keeping the sermon, sermon relatively short. Abraham and Sarah fulfilled the marriage commands in their lifetime. And this is amazing because they didn't have them. And this is what intrigued me about them. Now, I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit uses Sarah as the example of a woman that had a gentle and a quiet spirit being submissive to her husband calling him Lord. And the reason I I find that interesting is because Abraham was not the perfect husband. He made some bad decisions and he put his wife in some bad situations. 
But yet she is still handpicked by the Holy Spirit and placed in this as the example. I said, okay, then there's something to that. I said, what is it? And that's what I'm going to try to convey to you here. So let's take this journey and learn some marriage lessons. And, and what I really want to uh, kind of bring to light as we go through this is simply how they fulfilled these commands and how they lived out. And it always brought their marriage back to where it needed to be, no matter what bonehead decisions were made, no matter what conflict and friction they had, no matter what failures they had, and they had some deep ones. It always came back to this. So let's learn some lessons in this journey. and Let's begin when God called Abraham. Because two things stand out when God called Abraham and said, get out of your country. The first thing that stands out is Abraham's obedience. And the second thing was Sarah's obedience. Because how many know they come hand in hand? Oh, well, that's his calling. Uh, no. That is our calling. My wife is as big a part of my calling and any ministry you may have as, as I am. She just fulfills a different role in it. And, and it really struck me because here's one of the places that marriages stall. When God, and, and I'm not just talking about call to preach, but just begins to call a man and begins to draw him into the inner workings of his church. And, and one of two things happens here is either the man disobeys which if you disobey, you begin to set some things in, in backward motion, which we'll talk about in a moment, and, and begins problems. Or when a man obeys, but his wife fights against the calling in the ministry. Okay, both, both are bad. Both are not good. So a man's leadership and validation as the leader of his home, we all want to be validated. I'm the leader of our home. And guess what? If you've got to sit up there and flex your muscles and tell everyone how you're a leader, <laughs> there's probably some problems. It should be evident in the way you're living it out. I'm the leader of my home. Well, you're obviously very insecure about that because you have to tell everybody, including your wife, all the time how you're the leader of your home. I know what silence means by now, so I'm okay with it. But a man's leadership and validation as the leader of his home is directly linked to his obedience to God. I don't know if you've put those two together yet. And a woman has, can cause all manner of problems if she does not display a submission and obedience to follow that. And this is what caught me is they both obeyed. You don't hear Sarah kicking and screaming and pushing. And was she insecure? I'm sure of it. Because when it was all said and done, you know the directions they had from God? Hey, go south. You're going to go to a place you've never been before. It's a thousand miles away. Oh, really? And she followed. God didn't hardly give him anything to go on. And I'll say to the wives here, your security is in following. As insecure as you feel at times. Because you have to understand your tendency because of the fall, because of what Eve did, your tendency is going to be to get your claws in there and manipulate. And you will sidetrack your marriage. If you do that, your security is in following, not holding on to your husband with an iron grip. You're not going to do that. No. Some counseling sessions are just exorcisms. Just got to cast it out. 
But if a, as a husband, if you don't obey God, you release all manner of insecurity and lack of trust into your marriage. I hope you're putting that together. If not, that's why I'm putting it out there so you can think about this. So then, here's Abraham and Sarah. They all of a sudden have this, this tension point in their marriage. The tension point derived from the fact that she couldn't have children. Now, the problem with this is it produced other situations that became more tension points that derived from this situation. You're going to have tension points in your marriage. They're going to start, and you're going to have to figure out how to make them work. And some of them may be long-standing tension points you got to work through. But this is what I want you to see here, because now the Bible cautions husbands. If it's in the Word of God, it means there's a tendency, whether we have seen it or not, and it's Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. That catches me, because why didn't he tell the wife that? He said, the husband don't be bitter toward her. And this is one of those issues that they're facing that could have caused her to become bitter. Because first of all, she can't have children. Well, this is a culture where a childbearing man, and it is not just one or two. This is like, like as many as you can have in a lifetime until she dies. Just keep having kids. <laughs> She's like, do I ever get to just be an empty nester? Not in, not in that time you didn't. <laughs> you died with one in your womb. <laughs> But out of this, this produces a scenario that produces this child, Ishmael. And here's a whole other tension point in the home now. Now you have this child causing all sorts of problems. You have the result of Sarah and Hagar now at this friction. And in Genesis 16, 5 and 6, Sarai, her name has been... Change now, said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. She's telling this to Abraham. So Abraham said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hands. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. And what I want to say about this is there are scenarios, there are violations, there are failures in, in some marriages that you're facing that unless you go back to the marriage commands and recommit, your marriage is going to unravel. There's no easy way through these types of failures and things that are thrust into the landscape of our marriage. And the reason I say that is because how they work this out. And we don't have all the details, but they obviously worked this out. This was a friction point. And there are marriages that are bound with the friction of moral failure, and you've chosen to make it work, and that is something that I think God smiles upon. But have you chosen to fully forgive? It's one thing to say, I'm going to make it work. It's another thing to say, I'm going to fully forgive. And one of the things that I'm just going to throw in there for free is that there are marriages here that are bound by a woman that is filled with jealousy. 
You want to ruin your marriage? That's one of the quickest ways to ruin it. You let jealousy begin to run and rule its course as it goes. You, you will tear down the very dream that you have. You'll tear it down to the ground. And Abraham did. He caved in to the emotions of his wife. He went along with the plan. Bad decision, man. Because, you know, and this is the thing. I'm trying to point out the reality. There's going to be some failures, but, but there's this amazing thought here that I want you to see how they always seemed to go back to what was instinctively their marriage commands and it always worked it out. And so, so here's this, he gets caught up in the emotions of his wife. Oh, it won't happen just once. Failure on Abraham's part. But you know, as a result, you don't see this back and forth, mean-spirited, nasty, as you and you, your insecurities and all. Boy, some of the ways that you talk to each other, you'd think that you just hate each other to death. I don't want to know the answer to that. Didn't do that. She comes. She's emotionally distraught. This thing has created chaos in their home. And he says, you know what? You, you deal with it. Deal with her how you... However, what he does, in essence, is he covers his wife. He doesn't throw her under the bus. Oh, lesson number one in leadership. Covers his wife, doesn't throw her under the bus. He goes back to his marriage command. To love her, to treat her as the weaker vessel, to man up when I was wrong. You know what she does? She goes right back to submission. And it worked itself out. Amazing. Further down the road, Ishmael's a teenager. He's causing all sort of trouble in the home like teenagers will do. All sorts of friction points now because of the kid. And in Genesis 21, 9 through 12, Sarah saw the son of Agar, the Egyptian, who she had born to Abraham, scoffings. Now this kid's starting to mock. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, don't let this be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. So Abraham once again covers his wife, backs her up, and, and here's another little segment that every man needs to have in his life. He hears from God. I, I realize that marriage presents some crazy scenarios. That Even in counseling, you're like, uh, <laughs> but I tell you, when you hear from God, and here's his leadership beginning to shine, and how is it shining? Simply by fulfilling these commands that we have in the Bible. So here we are at another juncture now in their marriage journey. They get to the place that Abraham said was the will of God and the place that Sarah followed him. This is the will of God. One day I'm going to get all the pastors in the fellowship to write uh, their quips and quotes and stories about their pioneer experiences uh, because it'll, it'll leave you laughing to no end. Realizing, because when my wife followed me to L.A., not only did I not know where we were going, she, she said, oh, okay, she said, L.A., let's go. And, well, I'll tell you the stories later, but uh, it's, it's, 
it, it, at the time it wasn't funny. But, but here's this juncture. They, they arrive where Abraham said, God called me to, and there's nothing but famine. There's nothing here, Abraham. Yeah, but this is the will of God. This severe famine in the land. And so Abraham gets spooked. So he journeys to Egypt, but God didn't tell him to do that. So as he's coming to Egypt, he gets spooked again because he realizes, whoa, man, they're going to take my wife. Call yourself my sister. Excuse me? I'm your wife. Yeah, but in reality, you're my half-sister, so let's just go with it, all right? And he gets her into this scary predicament due to a decision that he made. Are you following me? Well, how do you get yourself out of that one? Hmm? Now, I have to believe, let me read into Scripture a little, that when this was all said and done and God intervened, that Sarah was not a happy camper. And I think she's okay with not being too happy in this situation. Because he put her in harm's way and in a horrible predicament. How the heck did she get through that? I really believe it's because she went right back to her marriage command and submitted her heart to her husband. She gave him room to fail. She gave him room to be human. She gave him room to make some bad decisions. And this isn't just saying it's nonchalant, no big deal, but listen to me. So she gets out somehow... She reasserts herself and how, I believe, just simply she went back to her marriage command. And all the indicators are that she did. That's why she's mentioned here in 1 Peter 3. And so back to the famine they go. And Sarah follows. And some of your women say, man, you're a dumb woman. What are you doing following that man like that? I bind you in Jesus' name. So Abraham's leadership once again shines because what does he do? He's really blown it, man. He really made a mess out of this. And maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I made a mess out of this. What do I do? Well, just do what Abraham did. Go back to your commands. And it began by going back to the altar that he began at. Realigns himself with God's voice and purpose and gets right back at it, covering his wife, guiding, caring, And here's where so many men are failing in leading their homes, covering their wives. Not that you have to make all the right decisions. You can never make a mistake. That's not what I'm saying. But that after you do, instead of going back to an altar and seeking God and looking to get back on, you remain self-willed, self-preserving, and don't realign your spiritual life through repentance. Back to the marriage commands. Maybe that should have been the title of the sermon. But And again and again, we go through the process of this journey. Well, how do I get out of this one? Well, back to the marriage commands. Preserve, <coughs> excuse me, preserve their marriage over a lifetime in spite of some real trials, real friction points, hardships, and setbacks. Too many marriages are not resolving the tension points and are stuck and don't know how to go forward again 
which is most often the longer a marriage goes, it's a leadership failure on the man's part. There's one more thing I want to just kind of throw in there, just for good measure, and then move on. And it was when I, Abraham came to offering up Isaac. Now, I don't think personally that Sarah knew this was happening. That he just heard from God and went his way. But Isaac knew what was happening. Most commentators believe he was between 20 and 30 years old. He wasn't just a little kid that had no will of his own. And this really struck me because his kid is willing to sacrifice and surrender at the same level of his father. And I believe a good portion of the reason for that is because he saw his father all these years doing this, realigning his life. You know, there's a respect your kids will have for you when you fulfill these commands. And they'll, guess what? They'll give you room to fail sometimes. And so here he is and his son comes along. But, but I was thinking about the other side. You know, Isaac's not tainted. They've had their, their issues, they've had their problems. You know, you see how, how uh, Rebecca did with, with Isaac and, and with his, their sons and, and how she manipulated and, and she actually, you know, put some pitfalls in her kids. But that, that didn't happen here. There are a lot of women that will poison their children against their husband to further their agenda because they're bitter. But not only is that wicked and wrong, it's far from fulfilling your marriage commands. So let's talk then in closing about being heirs together. Because you are in this together for life. The way that marriages mature and how love grows is when we deal with our issues and tension points because they're going to be there. There's nothing that gives us the idea that somehow we're not going to, every one of us is going to have them. But how you grow and mature is when you deal with those, when you see them and you deal with those and all of a sudden you you grow a little bit. All of a sudden something enlarges. And you have to remember love in the Bible is described as a living thing, something that's alive, which simply means it can be killed. Love can be killed. So this term, heirs together, means participants together or to share. This is the link to the fulfillment in marriage. And I realize there are some, you're in predicaments that are really difficult and they're not easily just solved and fixed. I I understand. And and there's a a lot of sympathy for your situation. Uh, And and we pray and that God will be glorified. But, But the link to the fulfillment in marriage is right here. This is what should become or be becoming more and more evident as the years pass, heirs together, versus more and more apart, more and more tension rather than less as the years go. Okay, this is, the, this is what I'm talking about. Now, my wife and I, we're going to renew our vows this year. It'll be 25 years. And unfortunately, we're going to have to unveil pictures that have been under lock and key for 25 years. That will be the unpleasant part. But, and, and I do want to say this. I don't want to go back. No, I don't. I am so glad we are where we are today in our marriage. Oh, those beginnings were so hard. Just trying to figure out 
a white guy and a Mexican, you know, it's like, you know, they call us crackers for a reason because we're dry, you know what I mean? And I don't know. But these Mexican women, they got this temperament, you know? I know you think she's the sweetest thing since, you know, candy was invented, but... But fast forward, 25 years. <laughs> we are heirs together. We don't have it all together. <laughs> but we're heirs together. And though our interests in life are still vastly different, we're almost on different planets sometimes in that sense. But we are really connected at the hip. We feed off each other. For the most part, we know how to handle each other. We know how to forgive We know how to let go. We don't have a perfect marriage, never will, but we have a blessed life because we're heirs together as time has passed. Now, my wife has more sentimental reasons of why she wants to do the whole vow thing. I subscribe to the Pastor Mitchell doctrine. I meant the vows the first time. Why do I want to say them again? You know, but... But I have my reasons for why I said yes and submitted to her on it. Yeah. Uh, and I'll unveil those when the time comes. It's shortly around the corner. But listen, because, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but we have had to go back to our marriage commands over and over again. Realign. And it never fails that as we realign, it unites us again and causes us to grow and mature again. Never fails. And, and it's not that we just thought to ourselves, oh, back to the marriage command. No, it's just like God pushed us there. <laughs> you got away from this. You're not loving your wife. You're not treating her like the weaker vessel. Slap, 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 slap. Okay, Lord. And then you get back to it. And here she is pushing away and God, back to submission, honey. And it always works. Doesn't solve everything, but it works. Abraham and Sarah always displayed the biblical commands. This preserved their marriage over a lifetime. Let me throw this one more observation in, and then I am done. She has a child in her old age. You know what that speaks of? Not just God's miracle. But there was still intimacy alive in their marriage. You know how many marriages that the longer they're around, the intimacy dies? It doesn't exist. Well, if your intimate life has died, your marriage is dying with it. And I'm not trying to put you in a panic. And I realize, again, there are scenarios and situations that are beyond everything that I'm saying. I know they're few, but they're there. But listen, you better fix it. You better fix it. And how do you fix it? How do you fix it? Go back to your marriage commands. As hard as it is, everything in you that has fashioned and habitually made yourself do the opposite and your responses and your interaction, go back. Try it. See what happens. See what God will do. Because this is the marriage journey. Once you're on it, you're in for life. Amen. Let's bow our heads.